our series entitled Climate Change. And I've had an early morning, and so I'm going to need a lot of energy from you guys this morning. So let's all stand. And what I need you to do is I need you to find five people, and I need you to greet five people around you. you got to say good morning to five people around you. Take a few minutes. We need to get the blood flowing. Say good morning to somebody. Welcome somebody. Help me out. My energy's low, so I need to pick me up this morning. Welcome somebody around you. Once you found somebody to greet them, you can find your spot and you can go ahead and stay standing. Don't sit down this time. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. We need it. We need it. We need our exercise this morning. You know, it feels like jumping jacks, doesn't it, this morning? I'm glad that you are here. We're going to be in Philippians. We still haven't gotten through the first chapter. We're still in chapter number one. So if you are just joining us, we have barely made through Paul's introduction in this letter. I tell you what, we are just kind of going systematically through this book. And we're going to read just 10 verses beginning in verse number 20 down through verse number 30. I'll start. The Bible says this, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as also so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and he's on death row. And at any moment, he could get the word that, hey, it's game over. So he's living, really, this guy's writing to us his final words, and he's a dead man. He's got a foot in the grave. And so he's writing this letter to us, and he's saying, hey, I have confidence that I'm still going to get to be with you. This guy is just holding on. This is awesome. Verse number 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He believed that because the church at Philippi was praying so strongly for him, he believed that, hey, there's a good chance I might get out of here just because your prayers are so strong. And he said, I'm going to rejoice in that. Verse 27, only let your conversation or that word meaning lifestyle, your actions be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. He's basically, he wraps up chapter 1 by saying, hey, I'm going through some things and you're going through some things. We have some things in common. We're in the struggle together. Touch somebody and say, the struggle is real and then be seated. The struggle is real and then find your seat. I'm so glad you're here. In your worship guide, there were some notes, and at this church, we take notes. Um, if you don't know that on your way to heaven, before you can get in the gates, you're going to have to turn in all your notes from Southridge Baptist Church. So you want to you complete all those, all those 
notes. I'm, I'm just kidding. Some of you looked a little bit worried there. But uh, we like to give you some handouts, some notes, some things to just take with you. I am a not only an audible learner, but visual, but then also kinesthetic. That's where kinesthetic is where you write something down, you engage with it. And so I like it when we kind of engage. And I'm going to do all I can to engage you this morning as we kind of wrap up the first chapter entitled Climate Change. We're dealing with this subject of our emotions. We're dealing with this fact that you and I have a climate and our climate can affect other people's climate by what we do. And so what's happened recently over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how can we properly change our climate. And we started with the fact that before I can change the climate around me, I've got to change the climate within me. You see, because you and I, we're not victims to our emotions. We need to start fighting our feelings because too often you meet somebody and you'll ask them, hey, how are you doing today? And they're saying, I don't feel so good. I'm not having a good day. And you'll say, why? And they're like, I don't know. I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm just not doing well today. And so we need to understand that this book, there is an underlying current, a theme in the book of Philippians. And it's this one word, and it's joy. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and he's telling them about joy. He's in prison, and he's talking about joy. Now, the church in Philippi knew that the Apostle Paul was in jail, and they said, we're going to encourage him. We want to be a blessing to him. Let's write him a letter, and let's encourage him somehow. But yet what turned out, them trying to encourage him, he said, hey, I'm rejoicing. I'm excited. God's doing some great things. Here he is in prison, and sometimes I actually thank God that he went to prison because you say, why would you thank God the Apostle Paul went to prison? Because we wouldn't have Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13, we know that one. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see, you need to understand that even in the midst of your adversity, God can be doing some miraculous things, some awesome things. This is a wonderful book that we're just diving in, and we're talking about our emotions and how we can help others. And then last week, we said that to change the climate for us, sometimes we first have to change the climate for someone else. And we talked about how to have a suck-proof soul because there are people you meet, people I meet, that they just drain the life out of us. But we said, like the Apostle Paul, if we are super abounding with love, there's a lot of love to go around that nobody can drain us of that life and vitality that we are to have in Christ. Well, this week we're going to dive into this last portion of this, and I've entitled this message, The Best Yes. Our ladies growth group, they're going through a book, and I ripped off the title from the book. It's entitled The Best Yes, because today you and I are inundated more than any other time before. We just have tons of options. We have obligations. And on top of all the options that you have, I mean, when you go to a restaurant now, all the options, you're just blown away. I mean, you go to buy a car, and then they show you all the options. I mean, everything you do, you're given so many options, so many features, and it's almost overwhelming how much stuff just kind of accumulates in our life. And we just seem like 
inundated with it, and it can kind of bog us down. Not only that, but then also you have this, not only just the options, but then you've got all the obligations. You're a stay-at-home mom, you're homeschooling, or you work a part-time or a full-time job, or you've got two jobs, and you've got kids going to school, and you've got uh, sports, and you've got extracurricular activities, and you're volunteering, and you've just got all these obligations. And so for you, you kind of seem like you're cramming 28 hours into your 24-hour day because you just got so many obligations. And then on top of all your obligations, you've got everybody's opinions today. And we, at first, we think, opinion is not a big deal. But actually, opinions are everywhere. I feel bad any time I meet a new mom because everybody wants to tell them how they should raise their kid. Don't spank do spank. When they cry, hold them. Don't hold them. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Let them, let them sleep on their own. I mean, you just get inundated with everybody's opinion on how you should do things. Or you start a new job. Everybody's got their opinion on how you should work. You go to a new restaurant. Oh, no, you need to order this. And you just feel like, whose opinions do I trust? I'm just inundated with all these opinions. And if you're like me, last week we said we have the disease of me. This week there's a new disease. You say, what's that? And maybe some of you have it. I have the disease to please. Anybody else out here, you have the disease to please? You don't know how to say no. It's just constant. You just keep saying yes to everything because why? You just want to help people and please people. But the problem is you fill up your schedule and you overwhelm yourself and you're stressed out and you listen to everybody's opinion as gospel truth because you have the disease to please. And this morning, you and I, even though we are inundated with options, obligations, and opinions, we need to understand that we have two very, very powerful words in our English vocabulary. The word yes and the word no, and how we need to use those. Because the Apostle Paul, beginning, and I love how he starts out this this wonderful book in verse number 20. He said at the very end, he said, whether it be by life or by death, Christ will be magnified. And then verse 21, he gets very specific about what his life is all about. He said, "For, for to me to live is Christ to die as gain. He's saying, that's the focus of my life. For some of you, we could say, for me, blank, to live is, and you fill it in. For me to live is fishing. I'm all about fishing. For me to live is money. I'm all about money. For me to live, it's all about my spouse. For me to live, it's all about my hobbies. It's all about my car. Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, no. I am focused in on something. And I've saved my best yes for what matters the most. I don't have a ton of yeses. I only have a few. And the best one is all about Jesus Christ. And he gets focused in about what he is supposed to be all about. Because he's got options, he's got obligations, and he's got everybody else's opinion on what he should do. But the Apostle Paul said, hey, this this thing, and he even reiterates it later on in the book. He says, this one thing I do. But here he makes it very clear. For to me to live is Christ." To die is gain. You say, well, how does that intersect with my life? Many of you are dealing with constant stress. Constant just bombardment of you're inundated with so many obligations, which creates all this stress in your life, and you're overwhelmed. Our growth group last Sunday, we were just talking about some of the emotions that creep up, and what is the prevailing emotion that we sense in our Silicon Valley, in our area? And everybody kind of unanimously took a vote, and it was stress. Everybody around us is stressed. Why? Because we feel like we've got to keep up with the Joneses. We feel like we've got to keep up with somebody. We've got to have that image. got to keep doing things. And so we're just stretched and stressed out, and it's all because we are out of control. Because we have the disease to please. 
So we're saying yes to everything. We're saying, yes, our kids are going to be involved in every extracurricular activity. And yes, they're going to get tutored. And yes, they're going to play three or four instruments. And yes, I'm going to have date night. And yes, we're going to take that pottery class, even though I hate pottery, and the photography class. And yes, we're going to do yoga. And then we're going to work out three hours a day. And we're going to do all this. We're going to do everything. And the myth today that so many people have bought into is that you and I can do it all. Because that's what many of us are trying to do. And we're frustrated that we really can't. We're frustrated because we're trying to do everything that everybody wants us to do. And we're finding out we're frustrating everybody around us. And more importantly, we're frustrating ourselves. And we're finding that our lives seem very dry. And we're finding that we don't have any emotional collateral. That we just don't have any of the, that, that, that extra to give to anybody. Why? Because we've said yes to everybody and everything. And then we wonder why, why aren't our kids turning out the way we want? Or we're looking back and we're saying, we're opening up an old journal, or maybe we're looking at our New Year's resolutions where you said, hey, I want to take this, or I want to become this, or I've got this dream. And we watch that dream slip away. Oh, I was going to write that book. Oh, I was going to open up a backyard Bible study, or, or I, was going to, I was going to start mentoring at a local high school. I was going to be involved in this charity. And, and we look back and we say, that was 5, 10, 15 years ago. What happened to that? Where did it go? Because we said yes to everything, but we didn't say yes to the best thing. And so this morning, I want us to learn how, through the words of the Apostle Paul, how do we say yes to the best? Because I want you to understand something. I put it up there on the screen. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. You see, some of you feel so out of control. You say, I, I, I just can't get it all done. I just feel in chaos mode. I'm just out of control. And it's because you don't understand that you are making decisions, and those decisions are making you. Because you said yes to everything, or you said no to certain things, those decisions are having repercussions. And those decisions are making you. They're making your emotions. And you need to understand, the Apostle Paul, he said, I'm making one great decision. And that decision is kind of the true north of my life. That is the guiding decision decision in my life and he said that guiding decision the ultimate decision is for to me for me the apostle paul to live is christ everything is focused on him but so many of us and i'm going to pull out some props here for a minute we live life all over the place we live life scattered we live life out of control we live life with really if somebody were to say hey what are you really making a dent at what are you really being effective at you would honestly have to step back and say i don't really know i'm i'm looking at all the hours and you're you're busy there's not one person in this room who's not busy who's not overwhelmed who's 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 major thing they're like i don't want to change my climate i just want to change my calendar it just seems out of control because your life is very much like this circle okay that's your life but here's you're in every single direction possible you love my artwork this is awesome i'm telling you what i am just incredible i will sell this afterward if you want it it's only 1500 bucks that's your life that's you you're headed every single direction and you're wondering you're asking yourself this question how effective am i how much am i accomplishing see the apostle paul we look at him and we just think wow this guy had it together this guy was just incredible the reason was is because his life wasn't this and, and you just go through, and, and I challenge you to do this. This may be a little bit practical. Don't worry, we're going to get some deeper meat in just a second. Just hang with me. I'm building a foundation. Maybe you need to go home and just say, where, where am I spending all my time? Was catching up on once upon a time 
the last five seasons this week, really good use of my time. Was, was that a really good use of my time? Because every time you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else. And when you say no to something else, you're saving that yes for something greater. But what is greater in your life? Some of you, you don't know what is yes, what to say yes to, and what to say no to, because your life is all over the place. When our lives, the Apostle Paul said, I'm like that, just, just focused. How much more effective do you think you could be if you started limiting all of those? Pretty effective, couldn't it? How much more could we get done? But I know what you're thinking. I know you're saying, you don't understand. I'm a parent. Uh, I'm a spouse. I've got things going on. There's just no way I could start eliminating things. Remember, the power of yes and no is our two most powerful words in our language. Yes and no. Nobody can force you to do certain things. But you just feel like, I'm just, I'm just powerless, and I want to help you this morning. Because some of you, you're just feeling like, man, I, I, I'm under so much pressure, and I, and I get it. You go to work, and your boss will say, you don't have your priorities right. Which is funny. Priorities, up until the 1930s, was singular. Now it's plural. A priority, and you're supposed to have multiple pri- priorities. The family's supposed to be priority, church supposed to be priority, children, marriage, all these things are fighting for attention. So which one do you give priority to? Which one do you emphasize the most? And that's where the best yes comes in. But I want to start here in verse 19 through 20. you got to understand something. The church at Philippi is deeply, deeply burdened for their friend, their mentor, the Apostle Paul. And how he responds to them is incredible. He says this in verse 19. For I know this, that shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's on death row for the next two years he's going to spend in this prison. He was supposed to go to court and trial, and he thought it was going to go his way. It didn't, and now he's on death row. You would be thinking, this guy's got a lot of concerns, but he doesn't. He said, this is going to turn to my salvation according to my earnest expectation and my hope. This word expectation, if you, if you parse it out and you study it, it means that the Apostle Paul is saying, I am standing on tiptoe. He said, what do you mean he's standing on tiptoe? Remember when you took your kids to maybe a, a, a store and there was a counter, and I can always remember going to either like a, a, a toy store, not quite tall enough to reach up to the counters, your dad's paying for the toys, and you're standing on tiptoe because you just want to see this thing get paid for, and you're going to take it home and play with this toy. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, my earnest expectation, my hope is in Christ, and I'm standing on tiptoe. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. That's what he's excited about. He's not discouraged. He's not worried. You see, for many of us, too often we let our concerns consume us. Your concerns are just consuming you. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's trapped to a Roman guard. He's in prison. He's going to spend the next two years of his life. Of course, we know that. He does not know that. And so he's spending time in this jail cell. And instead of him being discouraged, instead of him saying, y'all help me out, bust me out of here. Come on, it's time for a prison break. It's time to start praying like when Peter got busted out. It's time to pray that prayer for me. And no, he's not doing that. He's saying, my earnest expectation. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in the midst of that negative situation. You see, he wasn't letting his concerns consume us. But so many of us, our problem with why we're so weary and why we're so tired, and it has nothing to do with your workload. Some of you are like, yeah, it does. It's all about my workload. If I just had a maid, if I just had this, somebody just help me. No, it's worry. Some of you are weary because of all the worry, all the time that you spend just worrying about things. It just 
floods your mind and floods your emotions. Some of you could just wake up with that on your mind and you're just overwhelmed by it. But the Apostle Paul, he's saying, no, no, no. I have this expectation, this hope that's in Christ, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as also so now, also Christ shall be magnified in my body. He's saying, hey, my ultimate goal is going to be accomplished. Christ is going to be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. No matter what, God is going to get the glory in this situation. Good will come from this. He could stay focused. He wasn't in every direction just saying, oh, I'm worried about this, this, and this. No, he said, I'm focused in. You see, it's time we give ourselves permission to stop trying to do it all. It's time that we say, yeah, I don't, I don't have to do it all. Now, immediately what happens when I, I've been worried about this throughout the week is people will start saying, okay, got to start crossing the least important things out. Now, let's go to the Bible to get our priorities, okay? Now, in this passage, he says striving together for the faith of the gospel, striving together in unity. Some people think, okay, well, well, church is all right, but I'll worship God in nature, and nature is good, and I love nature. Let me ask you this. Is nature going to come visit you in the hospital? Is nature going to be there when your teenager is going off the rails? Is nature going to be there for you when you're going through a difficult trial, and they're going to be the ones to pray with you and be there and to support you? They're not. The Apostle Paul, he's making a stand here. He's saying, hey, there are some things that are important, and the gather together of the assembly of God's people is important. Today we live in a day and age where people think it's not that big of a deal whether or not we gather. It is a big deal. We need this camaraderie. We need this support because at the end we're going to wrap it up with the Apostle Paul saying, hey, I'm going through things that you're going through. He wasn't giving sympathy. He was giving empathy. When you're going through something, you don't want to hear somebody say, well, my heart goes out to you. I hope you feel better. You're just like, shut up. I don't need that. I need somebody to say, you know what? I lost my dad too a couple years ago. I know what you're feeling like. If you want to talk, let's talk. That's what they need. But so many times when we're not there, we're not involved, then we can't give that real empathy. We're just giving out sympathy words, just kind of cliche lines. The Apostle Paul, he's saying, no, 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 let's be more than that. So not only too often do we let our concerns consume us, too often we live life by default and not by design. You say, what do you mean? Default mode is just kind of whatever happens. You're not in control of your calendar. You're not in control of your schedule. Somebody else is. And if you don't set your priorities, somebody will set them for you. Have you ever noticed that? If you don't get real serious with your children, real serious with your spouse or with your job, this is what I'm going to do to that extent, you'll find that that schedule will go right out the window real fast. If you don't say, no, we've got to plan this out. We've got to talk about this. Okay, the car broke down, so we have less cars. So how are we going to make this work? We're talking about it now because we can't just... Hey, hope this all works out. No, no, we've got to figure this thing out. We've got to deal with this. We're not going to live life by default. Can I tell you how many Christians live life by default? Well, if I get my devotions in, if I get that time with the Lord, and if I make it to the house of God, if I get to spend that time, and you're just kind of like life thinking, hey, life is just going to help you be better. It's not. We have to live not by default, but by design. The Apostle Paul said this, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But I live in the flesh. This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I want not. This is the fruit of my labor. He's saying, I live, and yet I've got some fruit to show for it. What happens, so many times we go through life, and we're saying, 
What did I accomplish? A lot of activity, little accomplishment. Where's the fruit of the labor? The Apostle Paul is saying, there's some fruit of my labor. I can look back and see that I'm accomplishing some things. Some things are getting done. He's in prison, and he's talking about his to-do list. This is incredible. Type A person to the max, you know. He's probably got his little uh, flow chart on the prison wall, kind of carved it out there, you know. And uh, he's like, hey, guys, got to send this stone email to somebody. Got to get these things going. And here he is constantly communicating, constantly being diligent to encourage others to work because he said, hey, no matter where I'm at, I'm not going to live by default. I'm going to live by design. You see, you have more activities and opportunities than you have time for. Most are trivial and few are vital. So learning to say, what's the best yes in this situation? I can't do it all. Please write this down. Only a few things really matter. What we need to have is the relentless pursuit of less but better. Our lives are so full. And we're thinking, well, I just don't have any more time. It's there. We'll have to make it. We'll have to fix it. You're saying, I, I just struggle with trying to get a prayer time. I just struggle with trying to, trying to even just go back over the sermon notes so I could just kind of digest it. I just, I just get inundated with these things. I learned a long time ago that I spent a lot of time in the car making visits and, and driving here. So I decided I'm going to make an investment in Audible. A simple thing would just get some audiobooks. It's amazing how much you can get if you're just creative with saying, what can I do with the time that God has given me? I don't want to waste this time. I want to be a good steward of this time. God has given this to me. So only a few things matter. So what are we doing that really makes that eternal difference? But for some of us, we're going to have to change our thinking, and that's going to take repentance. You say, what do you mean repentance? The Greek word is the word metanoia, and it means a change in thinking. It means looking at our lives in a different way. Because for a long time, we just looked at our life the exact same. And we wondered why we were always frustrated. Wondered why we're all stressed out. Because it's time we start looking at it differently. Anybody know the name Dick Fosbury in here? Anybody know him? A few know him. Some of the athletes would know Dick Fosbury. You see, Dick Fosbury, going way back, he was a pole vaulter. And Dick Fosbury, at that time, realized that he could only go so high on the pole vault. He said, there's just, there's physically, you just can't. So he decided one day to change things up. Because at that time, when you would run and do the pole vault, you would go... Head first, you would, you would go over, all right? But you would go with your belly facing down. Dick Fosbury said, let's flip it upside down. And he went backwards head first, which allowed him to get that perfect arc. And so now he could jump higher and further. And everybody said, this is, this is crazy. You're going to get hurt. This is, this is, this is not going to go. This is not going to fly. Well, nowadays, when you watch the Olympics or if you train pole vaulting, everybody does it the Dick Fosbury method. That's what everybody did. And at the time, it just seemed like you're crazy. There's, there's no way to change. And there is. But we're going to have to step back and say, Lord, I want to give you more of my time. Because I, I know what it's like, church. Many of you say, I, I'd love to volunteer. I'd love to help out in that ministry. I'd love to be involved in worship. I'd love to, I'd love to help out that. I just don't have the, the time. You see, I'm not going to guilt trip anybody saying, yes, you do have the time. But I'm saying, let's step back and let's say, where are we giving our best yes to? Where is it going? Are we investing the time in those things that matter the most? 
I laugh today when, when I'll talk to my wife. I'll say, hey, I just need some me time. And, and me time back when I was single used to me go to the coffee shop, hang out with some friends. Me time may have meant just like, hey, I'll go hit the driving range or something. Me time means now I'm going to mow the yard. I'm going to pull the weeds. I'm going to trim the trees. You know, that's me time now. My me time has to still be productive because there's so little time. And so it's just thinking about, okay, how can I do multiple things at once? That's me time. That's when it has to change. So us saying, hey, Lord, metanoia, I need a repentance about my thinking. I've been thinking I can't spend more time with you. I've been thinking I can't always make it to church. I've been thinking this way. Lord, I repent of my thinking because I don't want my wisdom. It's, it's getting me the same results, and I'm frustrated with my results. I want better results. I want to change my climate, but I've got to change my calendar first. And so here we have to realize only a few things really matter. I can do anything, but not everything. See, too many people are busy but left with unfulfilling feeling of activity but no accomplishment. Some of you, you're, you'll look back in your schedule and you're thinking, what did I do that really mattered? I was really busy this week. Headache, obnoxious, busy. But I'm looking back on what really got accomplished. What am I really doing that's, that's going to matter beyond this week, this month? You say, that's exactly what I'm feeling. That's right where I'm at. So let me add this. See, the Apostle Paul, as he's talking to this church, he's encouraging them. And then he just kind of throws something amazing. He says this in verse number 23. He says, For I am in a strait betwixt you, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide with you in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence that I know that I shall be and shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and your joy of faith. He's saying, I'm in a difficult decision. I have this decision where I feel like, yeah, heaven doesn't look so bad. I just, yeah, take me home. And then there's that other part that says my heart is drawn to continue to want to help you. And so he says, hey, staying here is not so bad. Either option is not bad. For some of us, though, when it would come to this decision, we would say I want to stay here almost more than I want to go there. Because too often in the Christian community, heaven kind of looks more like a consolation prize than it does the jackpot. Heaven too often for you and I looks more like a step above hell. But if we would, in our honest moment, say life here is really good. I don't want anything here to change. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about heaven and he's excited about it. And for you and I, we say, wait a minute, he's talking about this focus, and now he's talking about heaven. How does this play in, and how does that affect my heart? Because when we understand that our heart needs to be in alignment with the desires of God, and we say, wait a minute, is my heart fixed? Am I seeing things correctly? Because here's what happens. Too often we let distance create distortion. You say, what do you mean? The farther away I am from an object, the blurrier it's going to look. You can be a ways off, and I wouldn't know it's you. And as you get closer, all of a sudden, I can see, okay, that's who it is. Some of you, you have to wear glasses, and that helps you. Some of you, you wear contacts, and that kind of helps you. Some of you say, I'm nearsighted, I'm farsighted. But whatever, there's a certain distance. When things off in the distance, you can't tell what they are. There's this distortion. And I'm afraid that for you and I, God has become so distant because we haven't saved the best yes for him that the things of God kind of seem almost like a negative instead of the positive. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, to depart, that word depart, as you kind of parse that word out, it means a prisoner being set free. That's what it literally means. He's saying a prisoner set free. He's saying that's how anxious I am. Somebody getting out of jail, they're not like, oh, shucks, man, 
The slammer was so good. Those 19 years, I got this really weird tattoo. It's probably infected, you know, and I got to work out and bad dental work and, uh, you know, got way too close to some people. You know, it just, there's all kinds of things that we're just like, yeah, nobody thinks that about prison like it was great. Everybody's like, I am out of here. Get me out. I'm never coming back. You know, I am reformed and I'm done with all that. And here the Apostle Paul says, that's how I feel about going to heaven. There's another side of that same analogy that it could be that it's like taking down a tent to go to a permanent dwelling. He says, I'm I'm packing up my tent. I'm ready to go. You see, here the Apostle Paul, he said, I've been so focused on God that really whatever happens doesn't matter. Because I'm so focused on the glory and the majesty of what's going to be before me that I'm okay with what's happening now. Because I know this is but for a moment. It's but for a short time. And some of you are wrestling with this day-to-day grind, this, this, this obsession with it's got to get everything done. It's got to be perfect. And you're missing out on what God is truly trying to say to you. That, hey, this is but for a moment. We're living for another kingdom. We have another home. Look towards that. Keep our eyes on that. Strive towards that. Encourage others in that. And the Apostle Paul is saying that to this church. He's saying, hey, don't be, don't be deceived. Don't get, get your sight distorted about how wonderful heaven will be. How wonderful what's ahead of us save the best yes for those things that get you closer to that that help you see that the apostle paul has seen this he's seen it for the first time so we don't need to look at heaven as kind of a consolation prize like i hear it so often people i'll help out with funerals i'll be there to support them and they'll say you know it is just they their time wasn't up they just it was all too soon before they were gone and i'm thinking if we truly understand what the Bible says about heaven, all of us would be, I can't wait to get there. Because it's not something that's just a step above hell. It's not something that just, it might be as good as we have it here. Because here, we're so in love with what we have here. We're so in love with everything that we've got. We're so in love with our comfort. We're so in love with this world. And so we're missing out this distorted view on how good heaven is going to be. How much God has. In John 14, he began to describe it to his disciples. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember the last time God built something? It was called Planet Earth. Pretty cool place, wasn't it? Worked out pretty good for us. Especially if you've traveled any Grand Canyons. Awesome, majestic. And now he said, hey, I'm going to go build something else. That's cool. What are you building? A house for you. Good night. Yeah, come on. That's going to be awesome. I don't care what engineer's in here. There's nothing quite that can imagine. Oh, don't patty cake. If you're going to clap, you know, I mean, you got to clap for Jesus. I mean, that's just... If you're going to clap, clap, you know. We're talking about heaven, that he went to prepare a place for us, and this is awesome. And one day we're going to spend all eternity with him, and it's going to be grand. It's going to be glorious because God is there doing something for you. And you can't imagine. The Bible says, I have not seen or ear heard what had entered into the mind of God, what he had prepared for us. He's getting ready for us. And for you and I to sit here and say, life just sucks, and I'm just waiting till the end. God's saying there's so much more than that. So much more. Start using that best. Yes, start saving it. And don't let the distance create a distortion. A pastor shared a story that I heard this week. And he lost his five-year-old daughter. And they put up on the screen a picture that I saw, and I was just blown away by it. It was one of those, those last little photos you just take, you know, and some of you, uh, you artsy people, you know, you see those moments and you just snap a picture and it turns out awesome. I'm not one of those people. I'll try to snap out a picture. Everything's blurry. It looks retarded. And I want to put it on Instagram. My wife's like, what is it? I was like, that's Megan. She's like, 
what is it? That's not Megan. I don't know what you took there. That's like alien child. You know, get rid of, you're not putting that on Instagram. Okay, all right, I'm bad at photography. Well, the wife of this pastor who they had lost their daughter was going through her phone and she found an old picture. And she had taken a picture of the rear view mirror on her side. And it was pointed just right where she could see the daughter that had passed away. And she had pulled out her camera and she had taken a picture before she passed away. And she was looking at that picture. And if you, on your way home, look at your driver's side rearview mirror, you're going to see the little words that are on every driver's side rearview mirror. It says, objects in mirror appear closer than they really are. And as this pastor and this pastor's wife had lost her five-year-old daughter, as they were just grieving over the loss and they saw that picture, they just thought, God just sent us a reminder that objects in mirror appear closer than they really are. Don't let the distance create the distortion. Some of you are saying, God is so far from me. Don't let a distance create the distortion. God is saying, I'm going to bring you closer. Understand that, yes, as you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to draw nigh to you. Yes, Lord, I'm going to get closer to you. Yes, Lord, I want to know more of you. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Continue to give him the best yes. But then notice this. Too often we let pressure create a panic. You say, what do you mean? Notice verse number 28, the Bible says this, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, that of God. For unto you it is given the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be. He said, in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Too often we let the pressure around us create this panic that shuts us down. And you've been there. I've been there. Where you said yes to a meeting and all of a sudden we forgot about it. And then we forgot we were supposed to bring something to this meeting. Or we were supposed to bake something, make something, take something. And we're just all in a frust- uh, frustrated. And we're panicking. And we're, we're upset with the situation. We're trying to load up everybody in the car. We're trying to get there. I saw a comic this week that really accurately portrayed how husbands and wives get ready. The husband will say, honey, we've got to go as he goes in and take a leisurely shower, shave, and get all cleaned up. And then the other side, it shows the wife dressing the kids, feeding the kids, trying to get ready. And then all of a sudden, the husband walks in the kitchen like, you're not ready yet? And it's like he's had all this time to himself, and she's been taking care of the 10 kids, you know, getting everything ready. And she just looks at him like, I'm about to knock you out, you know. I mean, drop kick you for Jesus. You just ask me this question, you know. So too often we let this pressure create this panic, and when we're panicking, then we're saying, God, you're not in control. I'm not in control. Things are spinning into chaos. Lord, I don't know how to take care of all this, but we need to start looking at pressure in a very different light, in a much better light. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote this wonderful book in prison. We get some wonderful truths that encourage us that we can go back to. And it's because of a difficult situation, something great was birthed out of it. I would dare say some of the greatest things that have ever been birthed out of your life came through disappointment and pain. One of those things, (laughs) this morning my wife got a text, it's her birthday, and from her mom. And you'll just have to see it on Instagram. It was just the most unusual birthday greeting I've, I've ever heard. It's, it's just fascinating. And everybody goes to their phone trying to find Jane Ermler. You know, not right now. You can check it out later. But she texts Jane for her birthday. She said, uh, 
today was the day I almost died 29 years ago. Like, that's her birthday greeting. And it was just like, my wife on the way to church was like, look what my mom sent me for my birthday, you know? And it's just kind of, um, my mother-in-law, wonderful, very Filipino, and just very cultural. And it was just one of those things, like, that's a cultural, I guess, birthday greeting, you know? Just like, all that pressure. But in the midst of that pressure, something wonderful came from it. In the midst of that difficulty, that that surgery, or that circumstance, or that job loss, or that, that, that setback, God says, I'm birthing something great in you. I'm doing something wonderful. So don't let the pressure create a panic because great things come out of pressure. Basically, what the Apostle Paul is saying at the end of verse number 30, he says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. He's saying that same conflict that you saw me. He's saying, guess what, guys? I've been through what you're going through. He's saying this in essence. He's saying me too. He's saying, you struggle with something? Me too. You're dealing with pressure? Me too. You're dealing with persecution? Me too. That's what I love about the body of believers. There's not one person in here who hasn't been touched by tragedy, by heartache, by trials, by testing. We can each look at each other and say, me too. I've been through that. Because pressure creates potential. Pressure creates potential. I don't know if you've ever used a pressure cooker. Most of us men are like, pressure cooker, what? And they have one of those? Most of the wives know. You can take a piece of meat that normally takes four hours to cook in a crock pot, and you can cook it in half the time in a pressure cooker. Why? Because the pressure releases the potential. See, God says, I'm going to put you in some pressure, but I want to release some potential in you. There's something that I want to work through you. That's why school and college, it's difficult for the young people. They're just like, I want to quit. I hate it. But there's something great that's going to be brought out from this. Something great that's going to come forth from this. Here's another illustration that some of us may relate to a little bit better. You've got a super soaker. It's almost summertime. That super soaker could be full of water, but until you build up the pressure inside of it, the water's not going to go very far. And God says, not only is the pressure going to reveal the potential, but the pressure is going to produce the power. There's something that happens in suffering. Some of the most powerful Christians that I know that walk in the spirit, that are so close to God, that are so, there's no other word to put it, but just so godly and holy and just saint-like, they're the ones who have gone through the most intense suffering. Maybe you've heard of Corey Ten Boom. She helped hide and smuggle uh, Jews during the Holocaust. Her life story is incredible. She spent time in a a prison camp. But when you read her books, you're just blown away by it, by all that she went through, but yet all that God did through her. So this morning you're saying, I've got all this pressure, but all these problems. What do I do? God's saying, you've got a yes to say. I want you to use that best yes for me. I want you to use that yes for me. The Apostle Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. He said, that's what I'm all about. And that took care of everything else. You see, our decisions, we get to make our decisions, but then our decisions make us. Some of you, you need to make a powerful decision this morning. And it's the first and greatest decision. It's the yes to God decision. And then it's the decision this week. How are you going to change your schedule? How are you going to lead your life? God says, you've got a great yes here that can lead you down a powerful path. But you've got to use the best yes for me. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed?